Well, as we all know, there has not been a lot of great news since the middle of March when we found ourselves sheltering in place and dealing with issues of coronavirus and COVID-19. There seem to be days and moments where there's hope and there's encouragement, and then the very next couple of days, things seem to go in the opposite direction. We talk about reopening the church and what that might actually look like, and then we hear of San Diego beginning to shut down again because of the incredible increase of COVID cases. And, and it can get discouraging, and it can get frustrating, and we can begin to wonder, um, is there any hope out there? And in a couple of minutes, we're going to look at the story of Jeremiah, where, where he begins to question and to wonder the same sorts of things. Uh, where is the wind? How, how, is, how do we make a way out of no way? And I am convinced that God is a God who does make a way out of no way. That even as we think about God's story with Judah and with Israel, with a nation that refused to worship him, with a nation that chased after false gods, God continued to say, let me show you the way. Let me give you a little bit of hope. Let me show you just a little bit of a win. But there are days and weeks, it seems like, where I wonder, could I just have a little bit, a glimpse of something fun, a glimpse of something hopeful? And actually, last weekend it happened, and it, it, it's a small thing. It's nothing deeply spiritual or deeply inspiring. But for me, it was great. And that was that Disney Plus released the Broadway show Hamilton, and you could stream it and watch it. And for me, that was, that was great. I had first listened to it several weeks ago when our son Micah and our daughter Morgan were driving back from Spokane, Washington after she had graduated. And, you know, when you're in the car for 20 or 21 hours, you have to do something to eat up the time, to use the time. And so Morgan said, let's listen to Hamilton, knowing that uh, that Broadway show is going to be released, the Broadway show that tells the story of Alexander Hamilton and all the other characters around him. And so we started to listen, and she cranked it all the way up. And it was great, and it was wonderful. And about an hour into listening to it, I thought, my ears really hurt. And, and it was hard for me to actually recognize that and confess it, which I did not confess it out loud. But I thought to myself, I was the kid who loved loud music. And now here's this music just going as, as loud as it seemed like it could go in our car. And my ears were beginning to hurt. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. I'm getting old. And then I remembered the story that I told several months ago at our church about our, our son who, at 19 years old, decided that he wanted to wrestle with me. And there was no way I was going to not wrestle with him. But every time I was on the ground and we were pushing each other around, I was fearful I was going to throw my back out. And so finally, after a while, I just finally said, okay, that's enough. Let's take a break. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I don't really want to get old. But it's the reality that all of us face. But enough of my personal stuff. I'm going to go back to the musical Hamilton. As we listened to that musical, one of my favorite uh, numbers was the, was the song, The Room Where It Happens. And if you know that song, it, it, it tells um, this, this conversation that happens. It, it, to start the whole thing off, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton are having this conversation. And all of a sudden, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson show up and they pull Alexander Hamilton away. And in this room where it happens, they conceive of a way of moving the capital. They allow Alexander Hamilton to get some of his financial plans through. And they're singing about this and they're talking about this. And all these plans happen behind closed doors. And Aaron Burr sings, one day I want to be in the room 
where it happens, the room where it happens, because he knew that things happen behind closed doors. One of the things I love about scripture is that even when things happen behind closed doors, we get to take a sneak peek at what actually has happened. The disciples go up to the upper room with Jesus and we, we get ushered into the conversation that happens at the Lord's table. Thomas, doubting Thomas, is in another room and Jesus shows up and we get to see Thomas be able to touch the body of Jesus, touch the wound marks, because he said, that's the only way that I'm going to believe. Scripture does a great job of pulling back the curtain, if you will, to see the brutal honesty. That's what I love about Scripture. I think it's so truthful and it's so honest and it doesn't hide anything. It says you get to go into the room where it happens. And this morning we get to see the room where it happens with Jeremiah. We get to hear from a prophet who's tired, who's weary, who's frustrated, and who cries out to God and asks God to remind him of who God is who asks God to show up. And I think sometimes in our own prayer lives, we get to these places. So I want to consider this prayer of Jeremiah as we get to go into the room where it happens, as we see his brutal honesty with God. And as we do that, I want to read from the message from Eugene Peterson's translation of Jeremiah 15, because I think it does a great job. It's, it's, it's a little more human language than the scriptures sometimes. And, and, and so just listen to these words. We, we begin with Jeremiah, and this is Jeremiah 15, uh, verse 15. Jeremiah says, You know where I am, God. Remember what I'm doing here. Take my side against my detractors. Don't stand back while they ruin me. Just look at the abuse I'm taking. When your words showed up, I ate them, swallowed them whole. What a feast! What delight I took in being yours, O God, God of the angel armies. I never joined the party crowd in their laughter and their fun. Led by you, I went off by myself. You'd filled me with indignation. Their sin had me seething. But why? Why this chronic pain? This ever worsening wound and no healing in sight. You're nothing, God but a mirage, a lovely oasis in the distance, and then nothing. This is how God answered me. Take back those words, and I'll take you back. Then you'll stand tall before me. Use words truly and well. Don't stoop to cheap whining. Then, but only then, you'll speak for me. Let your words change them. Don't change your words to suit them. I'll turn you into a steel wall, God says, a thick steel wall, impregnable. They'll attack you but won't put a dent in you because I'm at your side defending and delivering God's decree. I'll deliver you from the grip of the wicked. I'll get you out of the clutch of the ruthless. Jeremiah prays and God responds. And if you notice how Jeremiah begins that prayer, he's like, God, why are you so slow? God, I've got a schedule to keep. Jeremiah says this. He says, don't stand back, God, while they ruin me. God, why are you holding back? Why is your schedule so different than mine? Why don't you act when I want you to act? And sometimes, let's face it, folks, God moves slowly. 
He has his own schedule. We see this, interestingly, in the Gospel of John. You may recall the story of, of the healing of Lazarus. And what happens in John chapter 11 is that Lazarus is, is deeply ill. His sisters Mary and Martha send for Jesus to come and hopefully heal him. And so this is what we read in John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So we read that. But did you catch verse six? Lazarus is dying. Martha and Mary send their friends to Jesus to say, our brother is dying. He's sick. You need to come quickly. And verse six says, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said, now let's go. Are you kidding me? One of his closest friends is sick. And he says, let's just hang out here for a couple more days. You see, Jesus had his own timetable. God has his own timetable. In Dale Bruner's commentary on the book of Matthew, he says this about God's schedule. And he's quoting or he's alluding to actually a guy named James Baldwin. And he says this, he kind of paraphrases James Baldwin. But I love what he wrote. He said this, The Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. The Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. And I think that's an important teaching tool for us. Because let's face it, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait on God. We're like Jeremiah saying, why do you keep standing back? God, why don't you get involved? Why don't you move now? But the affirmation is this. That when God shows up, he always shows up on time. Even the mother of Jesus, Mary, she didn't fully understand this. You may remember in John chapter 2, they're at a wedding. The wedding runs out of wine. Mary looks at Jesus knowing that he's gifted and that he's the son of God. And she says, fix it. You can turn water into wine. And what does Jesus say? My time has not yet come. Because the timing of Jesus is always perfect. So Jeremiah then tries to cheer himself up by talking about God's word, by talking about chewing on God's word and delighting in God's word and the difference that it made in his life and the improvement it made in his life. And I think about that. And as I read that, I think about summer camp. I think about when I was a camper, when I was on staff and you would go to camp and you would have this great and incredible week and you would listen to God's word and you would read God's word and you would sing God's praises and you would feel your life literally change. You were chewing on the word of God, delighting in it. And then you went back down the mountain. And then you hit the world. Or more than likely, the world hit you. And you felt down. And you felt depressed. Because up on the mountaintop, everything had been great. But then it all changes. 
And that's what's happening with Jeremiah, even as he tries to encourage himself and speak hope to himself and remind himself of how much he loved God's word. It truly does not seem to be enough. And then we get to verse 18. And he says this, the second part, he says, God, you're nothing, nothing but a mirage, a lovely oasis in the distance, and then nothing. It's very different than what we read in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, when God had been speaking, as God even describes himself. And this is what he says in verse 13 of chapter 2. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God calls himself the spring of living water. And Jeremiah looks at him and says, no, you're not. You faked me out. You're like a mirage. You're like an empty riverbed. I see the riverbed that should be flowing with water, with living water. And instead, it's completely empty. God, you faked me out. And it's interesting here because Jeremiah, he's not, he's not arguing here theologically. He's not arguing with friends. He's arguing with God. And I don't know about you, but maybe sometimes that's how my prayer life is. It's like these frustrations that I throw up to God, these irritations that I throw up to God. And then what happens? Well, what happens is God responds. And I want to say this about prayer that I think is very important. Sometimes we treat prayer as a one-way conversation. We go to God. We complain. We whine. We offer our frustration. We offer our irritation. We maybe even offer some lament. And then what do we do? We walk away. We treat God like a bad customer service experience. I'm sure none of you have ever done something like this, where you call a certain customer service number and you're already frustrated and you talk to them and they are not helpful and they are irritating you more and more. And what you really want to do and perhaps what you do actually do is you just hang up and you say, we're done. Boom. Click the phone. And sometimes I think when we pray to God, that's what we do. We never make time. We never allow for the time because we're on our own schedule for God to actually speak back to us. But that's what happens in this text. God actually speaks. Jeremiah waits long enough to hear from God. And and it's brutal. And this is part of why the reason I wanted to read from the message, because if you look at the NIV or the ESV, Verse 19 doesn't really stand or come out this way, but but I love how Eugene Peterson translates it. And it says, this is how God answered me. Take back those words and I'll take you back. Then you'll stand tall before me. Use words truly and well. Don't stoop to cheap whining. Don't stoop to cheap whining. So a brutally honest moment for you all. About three weeks into covid beginning of April, I'm reading through Jeremiah, thinking about doing a sermon series on Jeremiah. And I come across this sentence in the message. Don't stoop to cheap whining. 
And I thought, oh my gosh, this is me. I've been complaining. I haven't been lamenting. I've just been whining. I've been irritated. I've been frustrated. It's what Jeremiah was. And God says, don't do it. Don't stoop to cheap whining. It was basically as God was saying, Cunningham, come on, get your act together. I'm with you. Do you understand that? Stop whining. Yes, life is difficult. Life is difficult for all of us. It all have, we all have our moments where it's a struggle. But what God was saying to Jeremiah, and what he was also trying to say to me, was saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm there for you. Because here's what I think happens when we pray, or what should happen when we pray. When we're all done, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be the same person that we were when we began. If we're both articulating to God our frustrations and our concerns and our joys, and if we're listening back for what God might say to us, then we ought to be changing. And, and this is what God does. God, God's plan is to renew. God's plan is to restore. God's plan is to encourage. If we look at those last couple of verses of what we read in Jeremiah 15 today, they're very similar to what we read several weeks ago in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then skipping to verses 18 and 19. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is what God's saying to Jeremiah. It's interesting in verse 15 of our text, Jeremiah prays to God and he says, remember. And do you know what God is doing back to Jeremiah? As he responds in verses 19 and 20 and 21, he's saying, Jeremiah, remember. Remember I am with you. Remember I have restored you. Remember I will stand with you. You see, it's not that God has changed. It's not that the call of Jeremiah has changed. It's that Jeremiah has been living in the world. And the struggle of the frustration in the world is this. As it begins to drag us down. The things of this world distract us. And in the conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with a pastor friend, he, we, were, we were talking about kind of our own lament and maybe even complaining about the struggles we're facing as pastors and trying to lead our churches. And he said, you know what? We also have the problem of the devil. The devil who masquerade around as an angel of light. The devil loves to distract us. The devil loves to get us off the path and to lure us away. And this is what's happening with Jeremiah. I'm convinced of it. He's frustrated. He's irritated. It feels like God's not listening, but it's because he's been confronting the stuff of the world and the stuff of folks that are not believing in God. And he begins to wonder if God's even around. And so God says, I am. I'm with you, Jeremiah. I will be your shield. I will be your protector. Jeremiah, I see you and I know you. And those words for Jeremiah had to be resounding words of hope 
and encouragement that God was with him. That despair and sorrow did not have the last word. All right, so jump back with me now to the, back, the beginning of my sermon, listening to Hamilton, perhaps a little too loud. But I want to now move to the story of the end of Hamilton. And as we watched it as a family a week and a half ago or so, you get to the final song, and Eliza Hamilton begins to sing. And if you know that story of Alexander Hamilton, if you don't, you might want to stop the sermon right now, but if you do, you know he eventually dies in a duel with Aaron Burr. You know that his son was died also in a duel. And so here you have Eliza Hamilton, the wife of Alexander Hamilton, having lost her husband and her son, trying to pick up the pieces and decide what she's going to do. And what does she decide to do? She decides to preserve Alexander Hamilton's legacy. This orphan, this immigrant, this kid who was broken and filled with so much despair and so much uncertainty, and yet so much certainty, but who was never truly satisfied. And she says, I'm going to maintain your legacy. And as you may know, she went on to help found the very first private orphanage in New York City, which still stands today. But at the end of Hamilton, she sings these words. I help to raise hundreds of children. I get to see them growing up. In their eyes, I see you, Alexander. I see you every time. In their eyes, I see you, Alexander. I see you every time. And she took what could have been despair and uncertainty and brokenness, and she turned it into hope. And I hope for us that this is a message we can resound with as well, that we can resonate with. That yes, we are broken at times, and yes, we are uncertain at times, and yes, we are frustrated at times. But God speaks to us and he says, I see you. Every time I look in your eyes, I see you. I know you. I've redeemed you. I've sent my son Jesus for you. Because let's face it. There are times when we wonder when God's going to show up. Why God's so late. Why God's taking so long to respond. But as James Baldwin alluded to, God always shows up on time. So my prayer and my hope is that we would take that word of encouragement, that we would be reminded that God is with us, that in Jesus Christ we find Emmanuel, that God is the one who restores us, that God is the one who helps to recalibrate our lives. That's what I think happens in prayer because we lose our way. And God says, let me help you recalibrate. Let me help reorient your life. And let's do that through prayer. So friends, let's not grow weary. Let's remember that God is with us. He is the one who restores. He is the one who redeems. And he is the one who's promised to be with us through all of life. Because God is always on time. Pray with me, please. God, thank you that you see us.
Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you have called us by name. And may we be a people who trust in that promise. May we, may, may we be reminded of your goodness and grace. Because, Lord, there are times when we do struggle, when we do get down, when we do lose our way, when the devil seems to attack us relentlessly. But, Lord, just like Jeremiah, would you speak to us? And would you change us through prayer? Would you restore our lives and give us a firm place to stand? We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.